Let's pray. Jesus, we want to say that to you right now. May your name be lifted up. We thank you that you are the Son of God. And that you went to the cross for us. And on that cross that you made it a way for us to come into relationship with a holy God. And Lord, I just want to say today, the cross is enough. Lord, I just pray now that as you, uh, for every one of us, that you would speak to us. You would show us today as we walk through the Old Testament. And we look at prophecies of who Jesus would be. That you would give us courage today in a world that's just so chaotic and you would help us to be bold as we tell others that Jesus is our salvation and the way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you can go to have a seat. That'd be wonderful. Now I know that you're not supposed to do this, but I'm going to today um, because I need some sympathy, okay? Um, so I had the, um, just the mother of flus this week, and now it's turned into bronchial thing. And so if I start sweating or stammering or stumbling, I just want you to know why, okay, as I'm up here today. And uh, I'm just thrilled, though, that you're here, and we get to be part of this uh, next step in our Advent series. And so last week I asked how many of you had been part of Advent in a you know, tradition you were part of in the past, and Several of you raised your hands. So I'm going to do that again. How many of you are part of a tradition where you did Advent and it followed the Advent? Many of you. And, and then there were others who uh, said, well, I've heard of Advent. And then there were people that said, well, what is Advent? You know, what does it really mean? And, and I was one that came out of a tradition that didn't observe Advent. And so uh, what I needed to do was start digging and discovering what does it actually mean? And why has the church observed this? tradition uh, for hundreds of years, and uh, I discovered some really deep meaning, and so as a church, we're going to engage in this, and it may become one of our traditions as well, and I don't know if you remember in our Ordinary series, and I talked about one of the key aspects of Ordinary is tradition, and so, you know, just an ordinary way of doing things is holding on to tradition, and because when we can hook ourselves into the past, it actually can give us security in the present, when we're able to do that. So just remind us again, the word Advent, the word Advent means the coming or the arrival, and it was used to signify the coming or the arrival of someone of significance or of importance. It was, it's also used to talk about the time uh, of waiting for that coming or arrival of someone to come. In Old Testament days, the people of God were waiting on the arrival of the Messiah, the coming Messiah. Now, I put a verse there on the top of your message notes. So if you haven't taken those out yet, why don't you do that? They look like this. You can find them in your program. Uh, also, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Isaiah 11, because that's where we're going to be today as we jump in and talking about Advent. But I put a verse there from Micah 7, because it talks about the concept of waiting. Uh, and so there's a deep significance of this waiting. He says this. He says, as for me, I look to the Lord. So when we wait, where do we look? We look to the Lord. For help. I wait how? Confidently. Confidently for God to save me. And he says, My God will certainly hear me. So he has assurance there that God's going to hear him as he's in his waiting season. And that's what Advent is all about, folks, is that we're waiting 
confidently for God to save us. We're waiting confidently for God to hear us. And we're confident that he is going to speak to us words of assurance. And so we're looking at some of those words. Well, hundreds of years after Micah wrote that, a man who was waiting on the coming Messiah uh, and God to fulfill his promises concerning this coming Messiah, his name was Simeon. And this is what the New Testament records. So we're going to look at a verse here, and out of context, uh, Jesus is about to be brought into the temple for his dedication. And so out of, that's what it's getting ready to lead to, and this is what it says in Luke 2. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting. Would you circle that? Eagerly waiting. Eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So that phrase, eagerly waiting comes from a compound word and it paints a picture of someone who's waiting and not in a passive sense like oh just let it come but eagerly leaning forward and waiting with intensity for something to come Uh, not this passive sense oh i wish it were so but waiting forward with this attitude i've i believe it's going to be so so waiting with optimism and that's what advent represents is that we're waiting with optimism for what God is going to do. And what I want to do is encourage us uh, as we look at this today, because I would guess that many of us in the room that right now we're in a series, a season of waiting. We're waiting on something. Is that right? Is we're waiting on something to change. And, and I just want uh, to help us to understand that in waiting, it can seem or appear over time that God has forgotten us. But I just want to remind us all of this as we kind of get started today. God is going to come through on schedule. He's going to come through on schedule. He has a plan. And so you can trust him and you can lean forward waiting for his plan to come into motion and fruition. You can rest secure in the love that God has for you. So that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus' birth is called the first advent, where we celebrate the hope that Jesus would bring, and we celebrate the fact that he came to make man right with God, and he gave us the opportunity to know salvation and to be made into relationship with God. So that's what we celebrate at the first advent. But there was more to Jesus coming than that. What Jesus came to do in his first advent, his first coming, was to you know set things right and to set the stage, set things in motion for his second coming or his second advent. So today, for you and me, we live between the first and second advent. We live between the first coming of Jesus and the day that he's going to come and he's going to make all things right. That's the promise. Make all things right. So Advent is the celebration of the first coming and the anticipation of the second coming, what he's going to do. So the title of the series then is called Longing for Jesus. And just even the term longing, it states how deeply we wish, how deeply we long for him to come and actually make things right. Am I right? That he would do that. Especially as we look at the pain and the evil and the suffering and the oppression going on in our world. So each week in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the prophetic writings of Isaiah, who was speaking for God 
to God's people. So he's speaking for God, and he was speaking to God's people. So that's us, for God, to us today. And he was speaking to them in a time of absolute confusion, pain, suffering, discouragement, disillusionment, fear, and loss. So if you missed last week, you want to go back and listen to last week's message as we really set the whole scene that Isaiah was writing into during this time. Pastor Mark did a great job of setting it up, of walking us through the conditions that Isaiah was referring to in Isaiah. So you want to go back and catch up and listen to those, but just say this, the nation of Israel had been invaded by the merciless Assyrian army. And the Jews had been kicked out of their homes. They were scattered. They had been made refugees. Many of them had lost everything, including lives and family as well. And consequently, they were crushed. They were brokenhearted. They were devastated. They were wondering where God was. And I think there are times when all of us can look around and we can think, all seems to be distress. It seems to be darkness. It seems to be fearful and gloom everywhere we look. Maybe you feel like that right now. It could be that you've had that bad lab result. It could be that you've had a relationship crash or mishap. It could be that you're going through a job difficulty of some kind. It could be a family problem that you're right in the middle of and the heat is up. It could be the loss of a family member that you've experienced in some way. It could be just the news, the news of what's going on in our world. Well, see, the really awesome thing that we can grab hold of today is that Isaiah was written during times like we just talked about. And it was a time when God's people were longing for God to prevail over evil. And he's writing to encourage God's people not to give up. And basically he's saying, this darkness will not last. This darkness will not last. And that is our hope, folks. This darkness will not last. So if you find yourself discouraged by what seems to be bad news, and there's a lot of it in our world today, this message is for you. It's here to encourage you during this season. So Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull three ideas out of these verses, and uh, we're going to walk through them uh, kind of line by line. And I want to begin with the idea, and then we're going to read the verses. Okay, the first idea is this. I can be sure because God is always at work. I can be sure because God is always at work. And specifically, he has a plan. And the key component of his plan was a man called the Messiah, the one who would come. And this is what it begins with verse 1. Out of the stump... And, you know, it says David's family next in the NLT, but in some translations it says this, out of the stump of the line of Jesse. So I just wanted to throw that in so we could be clear as we talk about this later. Out of the line of Jesse, which is David's family, will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Now, what's that about? What does that mean? What does that mean for us today, in other words? Well, somewhere around 400 years before this was written, the kingdom of Israel was united, and it was the glory days, and it had gone through this kind of golden era of sorts, and the king of the nation was David. 
the father of David was Jesse. So he was from the house of Jesse. That is the royal line. But by the time that Isaiah was written, the the lineage had been decimated. And all that was left, according to Isaiah, is a dead stump. Now, I just wanted to kind of understand what he means here. So I have a picture here of a dead stump that we can look at. But it's not just a dead stump. It's a stump that's been obliterated. This is from a picture that was taken after Mount St. Helens erupted. And you see that just nothing is left, just complete obliteration. Uh, It shows the devastation of the force of the volcano. But I think in the picture of what Isaiah is writing right here, it shows the devastation of the force that had come against the nation of Israel, of the evil that had come against the lineage of David. And Isaiah is saying here, the good news is that there's going to come a wonderful ruler who comes from the lineage, who comes out of this stump, because God never forgets. God never forgets. And so a branch or a shoot will come up. So let's look at this next picture. We see a stump. Out of it is growing a branch. Life comes from what looked and appeared to be dead. What was unimaginable is actually happening. And so if you look at the devastation of what we saw in the first stump, and we look at life coming out of this stump, we realize that God has made a promise. There's a picture here. God has made a promise. And here's the promise. No matter how things look, God still has a plan. No matter how it may appear, he still has a plan. He will never forget. He will make a way. He will never forget us. Now, folks, this is why after the attack this week in Southern California, that many people, their first response when they heard the news was to stop and pray, to stop and cry out to God. Now, what's just crazy is the outrage and attack that was unleashed at people for praying. I don't know if you saw this. There's a headline I want to show you here uh, that we can look at that would show the headline that was out this past week. Uh, I know that they didn't expect me to ask for it right there, so they're probably looking for it right now. (laughs) Yeah. There it is. So this is the headline. This is in response to God's people praying. Is that the news media said, hey, you're wasting your time because God isn't fixing this. And the idea was, I mean, I can understand some of the, you know, some of what they were saying is this. It's time for action. Let's get beyond praying and now let's act instead. Basically, God's not doing anything, folks, is what this says. So forget about God. It's time for us to take action. One article I read that was commenting on this actually called this prayer shaming, okay? It's make people ashamed for actually saying their prayers to God. So I just want to assure you folks, God has a plan. And God will make all things right. And I'll assure you again, our prayers matter. And so one of the key things that happens when people are hit with devastation or grief as they turn to what is most important. And when you see people turn to God and to pray to him, they're turning to who they've declared is the one who was able. So I just want to say, let's pray more. 
Let's be more visible in our prayers. Let's don't be afraid of what others may think because we believe that God is in charge and he is in control. So that's what Isaiah is saying in this first part is God, is, he's got something going on. He really does. So then let's get to the second idea. Second idea is this. Now we're going to move to talking about the Messiah. The first was God's promise. Now let's talk about the Messiah. And here it is. The Messiah is always trustworthy. The one we're basing our hope on is always full of trust. So let's begin at the next verse. And I'm just going to make some comments as we go, okay? So kind of work through this, making comments. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, talking about the Messiah, and this is what the Spirit will give him. So this is what Jesus, the Messiah, will know. These are characteristics of the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. So what this means is, is that when Jesus comes as the Messiah, that he will have the ability to discern the heart of an issue. He will be able to know inside. These are the same phrases, same words that were used to talk about what Solomon received when he asked God for all wisdom, to be able to discern the heart of an issue or the matter. Then it says this, he will receive the spirit of counsel and might. Now, this is referring to the kind of wisdom required for strategic decision-making in military circles. So he's going to be wise. It's the practical ability to come up with the right course of action and have the ability and the courage to carry it out. That's who this Messiah will be. Next, he will have the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, he's talking about someone who's reverent, someone who's devoted to God, someone who's humble in spirit. Uh, now, you know, we know that. We've talked about this. The fear of the Lord is, is often hard to translate into English. Uh, but basically it means an awe-filled reverence where I'm going to bend my knee before God and trust him no matter what and do what he says. Worship of him. That's what the fear of the Lord actually means. He, and it goes on and says this, he will delight. Why don't you circle that word delight? He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. Now, if you think about the Messiah, Messiah is coming. And this is what he says. The Messiah will delight in reverencing God. So that word delight, it means to smell. You know, that I like the smell of this. So what it means is this king will savor and take great pleasure in the Fear of God. He will be fully submitted to God when he's here. And Isaiah is saying that a ruler who was coming who would be an impartial judge. Impartial judge. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm not judge. I find myself so many times being caught up in judging. um, And I'm just glad that there's going to be an impartial judge. And And I know most of us would be in that same place as well. But it says, this judge... As we just sang about right there, he rules the world with truth and grace. Rules the world with truth and grace. And he will have all knowledge and he will have all might. And he will delight in doing and bringing to about, about what is right. He will delight in doing good. He will delight in being the one who honors his father with his life and all that he does. This king will have all wisdom. This king will have all understanding. And because of that, folks, we can totally trust him. We can follow him. We can say to Jesus, just say the word and I'll follow you. 
See, the birth of Jesus means that the wisdom of God has been revealed, and we see that through this one that came and walked the planet with mankind. Okay, the third thing is this. The Messiah will, and this, I, this is getting better as we go, the Messiah will make all things right. The Messiah will make all things right. Now, I want to give us three areas that Isaiah talks about that he's going to make all things right. Three things. First, there will be no more injustice. No more injustice. Now, we live in a world that's full of injustice, right? It's all around us. So I think what this is saying is that there's coming a day when that's not fair will be taken out of our vocabulary. That's not fair will be removed. Here's what he said. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. He will stand up for the poor, in other words. He will make sure that those who are being oppressed, that they get a fair shake. He will be an advocate for the poor. So those who were downtrodden have no power, had no voice. And he was writing in a day specifically where if you didn't have any, if you didn't have money, you had nothing. There was no way you could even get out of the hole that you were in because you were oppressed and you were held down there. Then he says this, the earth will shake <clears throat> at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. So that's a pretty powerful king, right? Pretty powerful king. He will use his power. And this is one of the things we just need to understand about Jesus' second coming. He will use his power to destroy those who oppress and exploit others for their own benefit. And it says this, he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. What that means is he's incorruptible. No corruption in this ruler who's going to come. Uh, and so that's who he's going to be. Now, when you read this, you might think, well, well he's just going to be some kind of you know, supernatural civil servant. Is going to come and take care of us all. But, you know, that's way more than that. Because look at the third thing it says there. Um, he said, second thing, he says, there will be no more conflict. No more conflict. So he says there will be a, an end uh, between wars. And there will be an end between conflict between people and countries. Uh, so Isaiah it says, in the, this is what he says in Isaiah 11, 6, excuse me. In that day, the wolf and lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with a baby goat. The calf and yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near a bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? You know, well, I know it's pretty descriptive, but I, I, you know, there's actually occasions where that happens now. Let's look at some pictures of this, okay? Let's just show you some pictures. Let's look at this. Um, that, you're odd. They've got this nasty-looking coyote, and, uh, or fox, I guess it is, and this little kitten. In my neighborhood, I think the foxes eat the kittens. <laughs> That's what happens in my neighborhood. Uh, when we let, okay, and then we next. Isn't this really cool? This is in a zoo, actually, and these critters actually hang out together. Now, I don't know about you. Who would be more afraid here? Uh, for me, I think I'm more afraid of goats than I would be of a wolf, right? You know, the, we never know when the, those goats are thinking, they're looking at you, and they come at you. You know, you're like, okay, he's going to ram me here. Uh, so let's look at the next one, okay? I just had to put that one in, you know? It's just so cool. You're getting licked by a giraffe. <laughs> okay, and then one more. 
Oh, my word. Uh, so this is just actual happens. That's Sharky the pit bull, and his friend is Max the cat, and they are raising these chickens <laughs> uh, together. Uh, so... I just think that's awesome when you look at that. Now, I went home and, you know, did this with my family. It's called, you know, Unlikely Friendships, Googled it. And so we just sat for almost an hour just looking at all these pictures together because it was so awesome. But there's just something about these unlikely friendships that we love, and they remind us of the verses that we just read. But the promise is not just for animals to be together. The promise is that people and nations will come together as well. You want to write this reference down. I didn't put it on your notes. Isaiah 19.23. Isaiah 19.23 says this, talking about the same day. It says, in that day, Egypt and Assyria will be connected by a highway. The Egyptians and the Assyrians, enemies, we're talking enemies here, will move freely between their lands. And then here are two pagan nations. It ends by saying, and they will both worship God. They will both worship God. So that's what it's talking about, the end of conflict. You know that bumper sticker that says, visualize world peace? Well, God already has. He's already done that. And he's promised it will come with the reign of his son, the Messiah. Okay, third idea is this, is I can rest secure because there will be no more pain. No more pain. Anybody want to sign up for this? Yeah. Verse 8, the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Now, no mama is going to want this, okay, to happen, but this is the age that's coming. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy all my holy mountain. Now, Isaiah is giving us a poetic picture of pain-free perfection here. Now, Max Lucado writes about this, and this is what he says. I have this quote. It's be on the screen here. He says this, no more aspirin, no more chemo, no more wheelchairs, no more divorce, no more broken hearts, no more death. You see, the Messiah is not just going to make the world a little bit better. He's going to get rid of violence and suffering and injustice and pain and even death. He is going to make everything right. So, folks, this is a picture of what life will be like after the second advent, after Jesus' second coming of the new heaven and the new earth. It's what we long for with all that we are. So here's the key idea. I want to leave you, leave you with just this key idea, this thought that you can grab hold. Here's what God wants each of us want to know, that each one of us will be able to look at what we've talked about today and say, I matter, and it's going to get better. I matter. And how do I know I matter? Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for me individually that I might come into relationship with God that I might walk with him and I might know the life we've talked about at the second coming. That's how I know I matter. And then I know it gets better because that's what God has promised. So God wants each of us to know deep in our hearts that we matter and that it's going to get better. Now, I'm not giving us some kind of positive talk mantra here where you just walk out of here going, I matter and it's going to get better. I matter and it's going to get better. I matter and it's going to get better. That's not at all what we're saying. Because what happens is, 
is that if, if we look at life and it's all about the fear of what's coming next, the fear of others, the fear of terrorism, the fear of an attack, the fear of my health, the fear of my kid, the, whatever it is, if we live with this constant sense of fear, always living as if something bad is going to happen, then we miss out on the joy of what God is doing now and leaning forward. See, we have a choice. We can live protectively like this, afraid of the future and afraid of what's coming, or we can literally take our arms down and we can live, lean forward and live eagerly looking forward to that time when he comes to us. Now, I want to wrap this all up, and I'm going to help today. I believe this is going to help you. By talking about a biblical truth that's the foundation for our faith as followers of Jesus. And it's found in verse 10. Verse 10 of Isaiah 11 says this. In that day the heir, and so once again, in other translations, because it says to David's throne. So the heir, talking about the root of Jesse, to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Now, just follow me, okay? Let's put this in context. Verse 1. Verse 1 talked about the fact that the king who was coming would come from the stump of Jesse, come from the lineage of Jesse, come through the house of of David. So in verse 1, he's basically saying that the Messiah will be a physical descendant of David and Jesse. Okay, so we got that. Everybody there. Verse 10, he's saying that this heir will be the root of Jesse, will be the root of Jesse and the house of David. He's saying Jesus is the root of Jesse. So when you talk about root in Jewish literature, the word root talks about the origin or the source. It's the beginning. So what Isaiah is saying here on these bookends, he's saying here that Jesus is both the root, the origin, the source, and Jesse and David came from him, and he's also the descendant who came from them. He came from Jesse and David. So what this is saying is this, Jesus is the descendant of Jesse, and at the same time, he's the source or the beginning of the root of Jesse. He's talking about the incarnation, the incarnation. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. He created, he gave life to Jesse and David. He's also man. He came through. He came from Jesse and David. God comes in the flesh. So Jesus is the creator God, the root of all, the root of everything, who's the source of all of us, all of us. He was born into the world as the descendant of David, as a weak human being. He's the God-man. He's God with us, as we sing, incarnate deity, incarnate deity. All things find their source in him. So I hope that helps when we realize that when we talk about Jesus, he's not just Jesus who was the descendant. He's Jesus who was the source and then became the descendant. So as the descendant, he could die for us. 
and show us what it's like to live as a man. Okay, so there we go. Now, this message, I believe, is meant to do more than encourage us. So I want to kind of wrap up with this. It's also meant to inspire us. So as I said a while ago, I want to encourage you, and this is, this is for me, because I am a recovering Eeyore, and this week I've been more Eeyore than not. And um, so what I hope this is encouraging me to do is that I don't have to be a doom and gloom, negative Nelly, the sky is falling, follower of Jesus. I don't have to be that at all. When I look at the circumstances and the difficulties of my world, I can instead be a positive one that looks forward to what Jesus is going to do and trusts his promise. And now he, God always has a plan and is always at work. Second, I think what this teaches us is, is that we don't have to be satisfied with the conditions we see today. And this is where the church gets its action from, is that we don't have to be satisfied. So here's what. I just want to list a couple of things. The root of Jesse, which would be Jesus, calls us, to be, calls us to be people of truthfulness, like he is. People of truthfulness. People of righteousness. We are not to judge by appearances. Wow, it's so hard not to do that. The shoot of Jesse calls us to be people of impeccable character. And integrity, to be people of truth, people who've said, I'm going to live by God's truth no matter what. The shoot of Jesse calls us to be people who will fight, stand up and fight against injustice, who stand up for the poor and the exploited, who speak up for the voiceless, who defend the defenseless. The shoot of Jesse calls us to live peaceably with all people, to downplay our differences so that we can focus on the things in which we agree. The shoot of Jesse calls us to do our part to relieve the pain of the world, to meet the needs of the poor. The shoot of Jesse calls us to live like Jesus is coming again and respond to his call to be light and salt to our world. So folks, we have the promise of the second advent. That's what we have. Let's quit living like this world is our home. Let's stop that. Let's live for something greater. Imagine the difference in our world if God's people lived with anticipation of the second advent and let it change the way they live. Imagine what that could be like. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we want to be a positive influence in our world, and so I pray that you would give us courage now. Because more and more as we see, it feels like Christianity is being put to the side and now even ridiculed for praying. I just pray, God, that you would help us to be even more courageous, to be even more bold, to be more tenacious, not declaring truth and smacking people upside the head with truth. It's grace and truth. So, God, I believe that 
as Jesus said, that they will know us by our love. They will know him by our love. So I pray that you would help us to become loving people, people of grace, people of mercy, people who live with a second advent reality. And I thank you for the promise that God gave to Isaiah. And I know there are those in the room who are in the middle of difficulty right now. And the fact that they know that God is always going to follow his plan, he'll always carry it out, it gives you assurance today. There are some that are you know, struggling with uh, how to live and what to do and what's right and what's not right. And, and they know what the Bible says. They know what God says. And today they can look to Jesus as their guide because he has all wisdom. And Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be people who work with you to make all things better. And it begins with each of us knowing that we matter and it's going to get better. And we just thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.